Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have a surprise for you. This is not a real episode of the Liturgy Guys for two reasons. One, Chris is not here, and two, it's really just Dennis and I having a conversation in front of the microphones. So it's not a real episode. It, there's no topic that we're discussing, and we're not even talking about liturgy the whole time. We're just kind of talking about how our summers went. So I figured it might be nice to record our conversation for you guys to get a little bit more information about who we are and and uh, so on and so forth. Also, uh, we may or may not have tried to prank call Chris at the end of the episode. Yes, we did. We definitely did. But did we? I don't know. You'll have to find out. So without further ado, here is a banter episode of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Podcast. I was podcast, I think was the word. Podcast. Pod? Wait, podcast is a... Like if your pod broke, you'd have a podcast. Like a, you know, cast on your pod. Podcast. Oh, I was thinking like you cast like a cast iron. Like you can, you can cast something like by making a mold of it. Right. Or you can also cast it like with the fishing. You can pod. cast it to throw it. Podcast. Too bad we don't have a fishing podcast because that would be like ideal. I don't know the first thing about podcast. <laughs> no, I don't either. I know there's like a tackle box. I know that the football. There is a tackle box in football as well. <laughs> I had a podcast with some friends of mine that kind of fell apart. Uh, Your friends fell apart. Well, yeah, they what? did. Yeah, They're dead to me now. Hand over there. No, it was uh, it was called Seven Day Catholics. I don't know if you remember this. Seven Day Catholics. Mm-hmm. And it was like a young adult uh, just talk about stuff type of deal. And uh, we were brainstorming <laughs> names, and Podcasting Nets was one of the names I came up with. Podcasting Nets, oh, good. You know, like, yeah, yeah like yeah, Fisher yeah. Nets, Fisher, yeah, right. Fisherman Nets. Right. Well, uh, Dennis, how was your summer? Tell me everything. Well, it's not over yet. It is rapidly coming to a close, but what an awesome summer here at the LI, the Liturgical Institute. I was gone. I mean, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was an awesome summer. You were out taking care of babies and wives, and uh, I was here with our students and having our wonderful liturgies and teaching, and uh, our students love to cook in the summer for some reason. It's like every yeah. other day they were making some kind of amazing food. Aren't the meals included, or are they just cook on the side? Well, the meals are included, but the... Uh, University and its wisdom realizes that our students are grown-ups and they don't want to eat in university dining halls so 21 meals a week So they actually give us food to cook awesome things now. How long have you been eating university meals? Well, <laughs> what, what year were you born? What year were you born? Just I was born in 1985 Well, I started eating university dining halls when you were but two years old. I was <laughs> Wow 1987 I went to college and uh, basically been eating university dining halls ever since so that was uh, so it was thirty undergrad years. grad school, and then you you came here right after grad school, and then you went right into the dining hall. That's true. I did. I did, <laughs> I did have one year uh, after college that I worked and had an apartment, cooked my own food. But uh, but you were like, I miss eating caf- in like a cafeteria where things are mass I'm just produced. Too lazy to cook 
and to eat and to clean. It, you know, for the people out there who have to go to the store and think of meals and then cook and then wash dishes. Yeah, I ran into you at the store the other day. Oh, my gosh. In the uh, coffee it's a, aisle. It's a lot of work. Oh, co- oh, why did you say that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dennis is... Uh, I'm on day he's, three. He's off the juice, as oh, they say. Day three off of coffee. Last Friday, we recorded a bunch of podcasts, and that was my last day of coffee. It was the best last day, as we say, until, the, until your next last day. Well, hopefully this will be the last day the forever. Last. No All more right. coffee, as we say in Long Island, where, right. where I grew up. Now, also, it's hard for you to eat cafeteria food because you're what's called a um, magnum taster. No, wait, what? Sum- Super taster. Super taster. I call it being a flavor hater. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a really flavor crazy hater. Not flavor hater, flavor hater. Flavor hater. Yeah, no. Flavor, flavor hater. hater. Yeah. Oh, like, like no ours. Like if I were a rapper, you know, I'd be a flavor. Oh, instead flavor of flavor flavor, yeah, be flavor, flavor hater. Flavor hater. <laughs> yeah, it's a true, it's a real thing. It changed my life when I. Is went. it a real thing, though? Yes, it is. It's scientifically verified. You can look it up on the internet. So it must be true on the interwebs. No, when I went to my college reunion. They had one of the, you know, between getting us uh, plastered all day and making us love your alma mater, they took us back to class. And one of the professors was a psychology professor named Judith Roden. She's now the professor of University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and we had this tasting perception thing where you, you chew on these little pieces of paper. And if you can taste something on one of them, you're a super taster, a regular taster or a sub taster. Oh, you, I didn't know you actually took a test for this. Yeah, and I passed or failed or wh- whatever do, you call it. Where can we get these papers? Because I think my wife is a super taster. It's on Amazon.com. Just put in super taster test kit and you can find it. I put like a little bit of garlic in oh, food man. and she's just like, there's so much garlic. I, well, don't blame her because the world does not like super tasters, Jesse. I'll tell you. Parents don't like them because they think the kids are difficult. Mm-hmm. Restaurant people make fun of you. When you I would go- not have liked to raise you. Yeah, for more, Wait, yeah, reasons more, than yeah, more reasons than you that. You go out to the like seafood restaurant with your buddies near the beach, and they all have lobster, and you order a cheeseburger. And the waitress makes fun of you, and you start to think you're a bad person, and you cry. You don't like just dipping tons of things in butter. I mean, it's really just butter via... Butter's okay, whatever. but why would you put an underwater insect in the butter? That's crazy talk. <laughs> Jim Gaffigan calls them uh, bugs of the sea. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Bug meat. You have to be really desperate to eat a lobster. The first one. Anyway, so I found out that I was indeed a super taster, which means I have 10 times the number of taste buds of the average taster. That's a lot of, that's a lot of times. It is 10 times. And it's exponential because it actually goes out. So what does that mean? That means like things that, so if I think something's sweet, you think it's like 10 times sweeter? Yes. Yes. They Might Be Giants have a song called John Lee Super Taster. Okay. And, and whoever the head of that group is had a friend named John Lee, and he found out that he was a super taster. And one of the lines says, when he eats a pear, it tastes like a thousand pears, like a million pears. So what if you have like a steak, like a really delicious, medium rare steak? Tastes like a thousand steaks. Oh my gosh. So there's good things and there's bad things. Right. If you, know, if you are a person and you don't like beer, you don't like coffee, you would take ice cream over cake. If you were a kid and you scraped the frosting off your cake and gave it to your sister growing up, you might be a super taster. This is like Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> you might be a redneck. <laughs> you might be a super taster if you don't like beer. Now that's that's shame for a man to not like beer. But well, see, I like I enjoy beer. One thing I do not like is is hard alcohol. Um, well, that's basically not, poison anyway. Well, I, I never got into it, but it's like uh, 
a lot of men my age, they're into whiskey and scotch, and know. you know, I, I just can't do it. Who would drink scotch and say, mmm, that tastes good? There are a lot of people, apparently. Well, they must be sub-tasters, because <laughs> scotch is basically poison and burnt oak ash flavor. You know, I probably am like a super taster of the liturgy, because I notice oh. things ten times more than probably other but people. But being a noticer is also a problem. It is a problem. I mean, we we were at mass the other day, and I was like, "Are they supposed to genuflect to the tabernacle?" Because they did. I was pretty sure they're supposed to genuflect to. This is in the procession of mass. Um, the deacon, acolyte, and priest genuflect to the tabernacle, which was to the side of the altar. But that was right. You're supposed to. You mean they turn to the tabernacle and genuflect? They that did. Way? I suppose there are different reasons, different ways to do it. Typically, the genuflection is supposed to be cover the altar and the tabernacle together. So. Oh, it's you don't kind of ignore the altar. You just genuflect wherever the tabernacle is. In the general direction of both. Right. Oh, and okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with turning toward the tabernacle and genuflecting, I guess. I don't think there's actually a rubric on that. But what we've decided here at our university is you just genuflect once, and wherever the tabernacle is, it gets covered. See? Well, that's something I wouldn't have noticed, you know, before working at the Liturgical Institute. You, you guys turned me into a nerd, for sure. ruined. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> There's something about being liturgically, uh, what's that phrase? Something is... Uh, something. Attentive? No. Wait, what? <laughs> Innocence is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. That's oh, it. yeah. Yeah, and ignorance silence is, is... Silence is golden. Ignorance is bliss. Oh, my goodness, yeah. But that's life. If you want to enjoy something at its depths, you have to learn about it. And then once you do, and then it's like, you know, Plato's Allegory of the Cave... You, uh, you know, I keep hearing about it. I think uh, Chris brought it up on one of the podcasts. Is it something to do with you don't know like where you are in reference to something else? Like if you're in a, if you're in a cave, he said, and the sun comes in from the opening of the cave, and it's behind you, and you keep seeing shadows on the wall, but you've never been out of the cave. You don't know that they're just shadows. You think that's the reality, and when you get out of the cave, you realize, wait, there's way more than this. And once you go back in the cave, you can never enjoy the shadows anymore because you know how deficient they are compared to the real thing. And nobody else who's been out of the cave knows what you know because they haven't seen it. And so they think you're a pain because you keep telling them that's not good enough. <laughs> and, yeah. And you're never satisfied. So that's what you say. If you want to become liturgically uh, knowledgeable, you get, you're out of the cave, so to speak, and you just can't go back without a lot of uh, difficulty. Well, yeah, but I think that's true for a lot of things, you know, whether you're studying philosophy or theology or different aspects of our church or our faith. Um, I mean, I, I've told my friends this, you know, Five, ten years ago, you would have told me, hey, you're going to have like a profound interest in liturgy one day. I would, I would have like <laughs> laughed. laughed right in their face and said, there's absolutely no way. And now I have like my peers are asking me liturgy questions. They're like, hey, th- you know, this happened. Is this is this all right? And then most of the time I have a good grasp of what to say or do. If not, I'll just ask you or Chris and get the right answer. And you know, like anything, you can love the game of football and then really get into the little rules. The really the little rules are kind of fun. You know, when those really good color commentators have those rules at their fingertips, you're like, wow, oh, right. they really know stuff. That's not the essentials of the game. But the more those details are done, the more the game flowers and produces it the fullness of itself and so it works that way with liturgy too absolutely I, and I I talk all the time how I think there is a, a really gate a really great uh, comparison between the liturgy and the game of baseball well we have a lot of people who are really into the traditional rules you know uh, we should not have robots dictating where the strike zone is we should just let some of them be strikes even though they're balls and vice versa 
and uh go cubbies yeah go cubs obviously um but then also there's there's that sense of when you go into the ballpark you're stepping into a a completely different world you know we we have uh people in the game that we kind of uh we, we respect we revere you know for cubs it's uh ernie bangs and Greg Maddox and these people that we really revere and in the Catholic world, those are the saints. We see them all over. You go into a baseball stadium, Ron Santos' numbers retired and his jerseys are his uh, flag is, you know, high above, flying high above the stadium. You go into a Catholic church and you see who are, the, who are the important people that we need to look towards. So I think it's just a really great side-by-side yeah. comparison from our culture. Right. That describes what ha- what's happening in the liturgy. And the more you know about baseball, the more you can enter into it, understand it, delight in it, participate in it, so to speak. I was teaching a course on liturgical movement last spring or last fall when the when the Cubs were doing well, mm-hmm. and you know we were talking about extraordinary form versus ordinary form or preconciliar liturgy, pre-reformed liturgy, and we just sort of said, imagine if you went to a baseball game and all the announcements were in Latin, and the Nothing was. Spoken. I thought baseball was supposed to be in the vernacular these days. Well, you know, it is in the vernacular, <laughs> but suppose you, nobody ever taught you the rules. But there's a lot of this whispery movement, and everything mm-hmm. looks really exciting, and everybody's super duper silent, and you're not allowed to chant this, the cheers. You're not allowed to stand up at the seventh inning stretch, even though the rubrics say the seventh inning stretch. You're supposed to get up and sing, you know, root 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 for the Cubbies, and you're not supposed to hold hands during that. That's a rule. <laughs> just because somebody decided a long time ago that that, you know little accretions came up or whatever so there's a place for silence in the liturgy and there's a place for latin the question is if you really want to know what's going on and participate in what's going on you should be trained you should have the right books you should know the right details if it makes a request of you to be elevated in your understanding you should learn if it makes a request for you to be silent for a while you should be silent so to do in the fullness of the of everything that you want to experience in a full way liturgy being one of them absolutely and i mean like i said before working here you know coming up on two years working at the liturgical institute that's right your anniversary my, yeah my li- liturgiversary this week next week yeah we better go to wendy's okay yeah <laughs> right uh <laughs> but my, you know just kind of my whole world has kind of flipped upside down in the way that i see things now now unfortunately i see things and i get frustrated because i know how they're supposed to be but at the same time I've learned a lot about you know how to dive deeper into the liturgy. And a lot of that is through the masses that we have every day at the Liturgical Institute. Uh, our, our students celebrate mass, and then we have other students, our cantors and sacristans. And it's just really amazing that even our daily mass is sometimes better than the Sunday masses that I go to. Yeah. I was amazed this summer in the last week of classes, mass was over. And we don't even really have a director of liturgy, just everybody in our student body knows exactly what they're doing. So mass is over, mm-hmm. the priest leaves, and then nobody says a word for like 30 seconds as they pray, and then boom, up. Putting out the candles, bringing stuff back to the sacristy, doing this, doing that. It's just like this little machine of perfect order mm-hmm. that everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody's really participating. There, there are very few people in the liturgical institute who don't have some liturgical role. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's really nice to see it operate so smoothly. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see kind of where our students go after that. I mean, um, we, we just had that Young Adult Liturgy Conference last year, and Alexis Katarna, she teaches at St. Mary's uh, Seminary in Houston, right? Yes. 
So she's out there in the world teaching. Mm-hmm. Chris is a graduate of the Liturgical Institute, and now he teaches at the Liturgical Institute. Uh, and he's you, been running the Office of Worship in La Crosse for 17 yeah. years and written books and pretty yeah. well known around the country. Absolutely. And, and I think I just ran the numbers last week, and like something like 90% of the people who graduate from the Liturgical Institute have a job in the relevant field. I thought it was higher than that. Well, it's so it's a, it's ninety it's ninety eight percent it's like ninety eight point six or something like that. But just like our but na- body you know, temperature. But I kind of say yeah ninety eight point six yeah that's true yeah. But uh, I I think ninety eight percent sounds better than ninety nine percent because ninety nine percent just sounds weird. Yeah, there's always one or two people <laughs> right. And some of our graduates sadly have gone home to God. Yeah. So, you so did you count them? Uh, no, I did not oh. count. <laughs> well, I no, I did not count them. But really, there's only one of our graduates that, and I haven't even really talked to them. I don't know if they're still, you know, working where they're working, but pretty fascinating that our students are taking what we're doing here and imparting their knowledge all over the country and even even in the world. We have students that are in New Zealand and England and Singapore, Singapore, India, Philippines. Mm -hmm. So it's just nobody from South America yet, but. If anybody's listening in South America, we want you as a yeah. student. We need, we need some South America and Antarctica, if, you, if there are any priests in Antarctica. And actually, one of our graduates and one of our future graduates, is both of them are monks at St. Minard, Archbishop oh, yeah. in Indiana. And in fact, one of them just sent me an email saying that it was our life of study and prayer and also the community life in the Liturgical Institute that helped him find his vocation. So now he's going off to a life of study and prayer and community oh. <laughs> in a Benedictine monastery. That's, about that? That's amazing. I, I'll say this. The thing that has made the most impact, not just you know when I go to Mass on Sundays, but this idea of the domestic church, that has blown my mind. You know, we're Just talking about uh, blessings and how I as a dad can bless my kids. What can I do in the domestic church to mirror what's happening in the liturgy on Sundays and during the week as well? And as a dad who's you know looking at the world around him and trying to think like how the heck am I going to keep my kids Catholic, you know, for until they decide that they want to just take the reins with them? Gosh, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, but but having that domestic church, that idea of the domestic church is I think going to be entirely helpful. Do you hear heavenly music? <laughs> That's my phone. Oh, your other phone. My other phone. Well, that's true. You know, a, a friend of mine um, has a brother and a sister who are trying to move out of the house. They're, they don't want to be Catholic anymore. And uh, he said their parents were real tough, you know, like very um, Jensenistic or very uh, puritanical. You know, everything mm-hmm. is either good or bad and blah, blah, blah. And then I talked to another friend who's got nine children in the family. They're all still practicing Catholics. And she said, our parents were tough, but they were fair. They always taught us about the love of God. I think one of the best things to do to keep your kids Catholic is... Don't be little tyrants with them. You right. Know, teach in, them. In either direction. Give them freedom. No. Teach them. Give them freedom. Teach them. Give them freedom. Yeah, we were What just, do I know? I don't have any kids. So. <laughs> we, you have godchildren. That's true. Five of them. Oh, my goodness. Include one of, including one of Chris's children. Yeah. That His was seventh a, child. He wow. had six children before he got down low enough on the list of <laughs> before godparents got to, to, to ask me. Dennis territory. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where you'll be on the list of my kids. We'll figure out. Well, you know, you got to go through the close relatives first, I understand. Yeah. Well, that's that's actually funny. I, um, when, when we picked godchildren for, godparents for our two children, we actually went outside of the family and uh, we went to peers. And the reason we did that, not that I don't, love my family or think that they would make 
good godparents, but we went with our peers because they're the people that we're growing in our faith with, that we're going to mass together, we're talking to each other on the weekends and texting each other, you know, hey, can you pray for me, stuff like that. Those are the people that I want to be godparents for my children because we're engaged with each other on our faith journey. Adding a kid into the mix as a godparent only makes it that much better in my mind. Yeah, I don't think I ever, I met my godfather once and my godmother three or four times. They never sent a card or birthday mm-hmm. present or anything. I'm still bitter. Oh, I can tell. <laughs> Maybe they prayed for me. I don't know. I should pray for them. Bitter like coffee. Oh, don't talk about coffee. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, oh. What was that? I hit a wire. Sorry. (laughs) As a super taster, I don't even like the taste of coffee. What does that wire taste like? Why did you lick that? (laughs) No, I mean, I I think that's absolutely absolutely true. I mean, making sure that you're doing the right things to raise your kids. And what I've learned here, just working here, has been great. And the other thing, too, that we often talk about this, Dennis, that the church, the future is bright. You know, it's very clear that there is there are some people who don't like the Novus Ordo. They don't think it's good enough, so then they go to the Extraordinary Form. And then there are some people who don't like the Extraordinary Form, so they try to veer as far away from it as possible. But there's a large contingent of people that are, they just want a reasonable liturgy. They just want what the church teaches. You know, it's nothing, you know, like super ornate, and it's nothing like super, you know, moving away from what the church teaches. And that, I think, is going to be, hopefully, the norm in the next, you know, decades to come. Well, that's what John Paul said many times, and even Pope Benedict, everybody assumes, is always associated with the extraordinary form. They always said, the best guarantee to make people love the liturgy is to celebrate it according to the norms in the books. That was even Mm -hmm. in some more in Pontificum, right? So, the the actual motu proprio that allows greater freedom for the extraordinary form says the best way to keep people (laughs) loving the ordinary form is to do it well. Right. And that's, I've seen that as a... As a young adult Catholic, you know, learning more about liturgy, I haven't really seen anything that's really fit what I feel like the church is actually trying to tell us the Novus Ordo should look like outside of the liturgical institute. Yeah. <laughs> We're lucky right around here and that we have a number of churches in the area that, oh, have, yeah. that have good liturgy and uh, many choices. But I know some some people don't. You're in a little town, there's one church, and that that's it. And yeah, I got, that would be really tough to be in a little town where you really only have one church and you try to make suggestions or you know you try to talk to the priest about doing something, you know maybe incorporating more chant or singing. And if he's not open to it, then you can't do that. And that's the funny thing about all of this is like we can have the best liturgy in the world, but in the end, as long as the Eucharist is the Eucharist in the Mass, that's the most important thing that that happens. And we can't have a perfect liturgy. It's well, really no, not perfect. But it's you know I think sometimes people do tolerate just about anything, and they say as long as the words of institution are said and the Eucharist mm-hmm. is validly consecrated, that's enough. But you know the Mass isn't a bunch of stuff that you tolerate and wait around for the Eucharist. I mean, the Mass is prayers and petition, praise, mm-hmm. scripture, offering, music, uh, you know, expressing yourself to God, hearing the word of God. And if those things are dull and boring and dingy, then you're just really losing out on opportunities. It's like I'll sit around and wait for 
the spiritual vitamin pill. It's like, oh, I'm going to have Thanksgiving dinner, but I'll just, you know, sit around and have my dehydrated turkey <laughs> dust, turkey powder. Turkey no, no, dust. no, 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 no. Turkey dust. That's a good band name. Tur- turkey <laughs> dehydrated turkey dust. Oh, okay. Um, but no, like the first course, second course, dessert, they should all be as excellent as possible so that the whole experience is uplifting, motivating, transforming. That's another thing that I really like is the... Um, what did what do you call that? What do you, what is it called when there's different days that are like solemnities, and then you have a ferial day? Uh, Progressive solemnity. Yeah, that the phrase I forgot. That's another really cool thing because, it, especially in the domestic church, it kind of shows you days that are important. And I want to teach my kids that. I want to, you know, when it's a when it's a solemnity, I want to have ice cream. I want to have an extra drink. You know, some wine at the table, maybe some people over. Hey, kids, it's a solemnity, yeah. <laughs> baby. So that when my kids remember, you know, like if there's a feast day or a solemnity, they can remember, oh my gosh, we did some really great things. And that's exactly what you're saying. Like Thanksgiving dinner would be like Easter. And maybe you don't have all those meals and all those people over. But, you know, maybe some days in there you have a, a nicer meal and those might be like feast days, you know, things like that. And then you obviously have. Your normal days where you just throw something together for right. a ferial day. Right. We think dessert is like every day, but why isn't dessert like a feast day? Yeah, I don't know. Just, I know. You know because it's delicious? Well, yeah, want? you want it every day. <laughs> dessert but, can be incense. You can we, have it every day. We really don't know how to feast or fast anymore. You know, our, mm-hmm. our life's very flat. If there's anything that was once a feast, it's become this crazy, you know, decadent thing like Fat Tuesday in New Orleans. If there's fast, we don't really do it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's always strikes me that there's this Latari Sunday in the middle of the, the penitential seasons. It's like the rejoicing Sunday for one day we get to be, you know, loosed from our deep penitential activity and like, really? Pink vestment, rose vestment. <laughs> I, I don't think I've really noticed. Don't say whole, pink, Dennis. I know a whole lot of penitential activity going on here that we need all Sunday if we're going to sing the Gloria. But, you know, we, we don't fast very much. We don't feast very well either. Well, yeah, I mean, that's something that we get from the liturgy, you know, the, those ideas of different days mean different things. And fasting is not really a part of our culture as Americans anyway, especially since now it's not uh, obligated that we, it's not uh, mandated rather, or I don't know the word, that we don't eat meat on Fridays mm-hmm. throughout the year. But you're still supposed to sacrifice something on right. every Friday. And that is an obligation. Right. I'm not sure that I've ever done that. <laughs> I, don't think, I also don't think that uh, Kevin, he's really good about it. <laughs> when we go out to lunch on Fridays, he's like, uh, let's just go to the dining hall. Hey, let's go to Wendy's. Yeah. Oh, it's Friday. <laughs> I know. Well, he's a pre-Vatican II Catholic. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's something that incorporating fasting, especially fasting as a prayer for somebody, like somebody asks you for help. That is one of the best ways you can pray for somebody is doing a novena and actually, you know, saying prayers for them, but then also fasting for them. Anytime that you eliminate a comfort of your own on behalf of somebody else is really incredible. And it unites yourself with Christ. I just saw a TED talk on YouTube about fasting. Mm-hmm. And those TED talks are really fascinating. The way they do it is so engaging. And he wasn't Christian, I don't think, but he did talk about how different religious traditions fast. But he, he was like a neuroscientist, I think. And he was talking about what happens to your brain after your third day of fasting and how it, its efficiency picks up and it's like an increased concentration. Really? Although it seems hard to think if you were constantly thinking about food, that it'd be hard to concentrate on anything else. But I guess like anything, you get you get used to it and yeah. then it's a new kind of system of thought kicks in. 
Yeah, I mean, and like you said, we don't really fast in this country. Feasting is kind of what you do. And I remember, you know, shortly out of college, whenever I would do like freelance stuff, I would go kind of paycheck to paycheck. But, you know, anytime I had money, I would spend it. I would go do the things that I want to do. And when I didn't have money, I didn't do anything. But it wasn't because of intent. It was because I just didn't have it. Well, now I have a wife and kids and I have to be more intentional about when we're fasting financially and when we're saying that we're going to do something really nice. So our birthdays are, are right next to each other in July. So we just did a really nice dinner at a steakhouse in, you know, in the area. And Wow, you didn't invite me. Well, you uh, you would like it too much. You would like it 10 times as much as <laughs> a normal person would like Or it. I would dislike it 10 times yeah. as much. Well, if you have a birthday in July, then we'll do it. My birthday is September 8th. Please send me pie crust. That's, oh, that's the same coming, birthday as the Virgin Mary. The is Blessed it? Virgin Mary, yeah. Is that true, or is that just like what the church decided? Well, that's when the church has chosen to observe it. I don't know if they have any episodes. So we're not sure. It doesn't matter. Liturgically, it's real. <laughs> Liturg- the liturgical reality is way better than historical reality anyway. Well, um, you know, there's one, we should say, talk about the elephant in the room, rather the elephant that's not in the room, Chris. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris. Yeah. He decided not to come to this meeting that we forgot to tell him about. Yeah, I believe he's in Nebraska with, is he in Nebraska? with his eight oh, yeah, children on a family vacation. Yeah, and his... Uh, his and he didn't invite me to that either. I think his youngest, uh, his, kid. his youngest daughter, Zelly, I think it's her birthday today. First birthday. Yes, Zelly. So, happy birthday, Zelly. That means Azalea. It does. Would you name your kid like rhododendron? No, but but I, I will tell you that Kim is really high on Zelly after Chris uh, named his daughter Azalea. Well, the next one will be Azalea. The next one will be like rhododendron, arborvitae. Rhododendron? No. Oh, what is that? Juniper. Oh, you could get juniper in for a nipper. Rudiger. Well, Rudiger's not the Kunigunda. name. Kunigunda. They're not names. Do you see the pattern here? Odokazo. These are names of shrubs. Azalea, oh. rhododendron, arborvitae, you. Arborvitae? I don't know this you stuff. You don't know arborvitae? Y-E-W no. is you. That's a kind of shrub out in front of your house. Oh, I was just picking... Hydrangea? That would be a good name. Yeah, or you could just name your kid Drangea, and then whenever somebody would see them, they'd be like, Hi, Drangea. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Next kid. Hear that, Kim? Your next kid will be named Drangea. Or I could just do Tyler Weiler. That would be pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Skyler right. Weiler. Skyler Weiler. Who would do that to their kid? That's kind of annoying. You might. My father always joked he was going to name my sister Tamara. So her name would be Tamara McNamara. <laughs> I could call her Tammy. But he, he didn't do that. Or Mara. Mara. Mara McNamara. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. That would be pretty funny. Or Macna. But So Chris is not here. He's on family vacation. Oh, yeah. Is that what we were talking about? Chris? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy to forget about him. <laughs> Let's be honest. Notice the absence of coughing in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I edit out, but I'm not kidding. He literally coughs on every episode. Hmm. It's not. That's not an exaggeration. He really does. It's all the smoking, I guess. Yeah. Pro- <laughs> he doesn't even smoke. No, he doesn't. But... uh we had a fun time recording a few episodes uh, last week. We and you dragged me out of bed at, what was it, 5.30? In the I didn't drag you out of bed. Oh. You got out of bed on your, of your own volition. You That's scheduled right. you were no, it. You were nowhere near, nowhere near my bed, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> you scheduled it. I had nothing to do with it. Anyway, I was glad to do it as you, a service to the course. people of God. You were fasting from joy. Two hours in the car <laughs> with me saying, worst idea ever. <laughs> but we, we met in Madison, and uh, we 
spend some time recording some podcasts in Cathedral, so that was pretty fun. Yep. And overall, I'm just really excited to get this going again. Um, that was probably the hardest part about being away from work is that we couldn't do the podcast. Oh, I thought it was. I thought you missed me. Well, you missed me in podcasting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand. I missed the podcast, Dennis, not the liturgical institute, Dennis. <laughs> it, actually, it is a pretty different person, isn't it? When there's a microphone in front of me, I'm like, bling, 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 extrovert. Yeah. Like, the rest of the time, it's like, yeah, nothing's good. Yeah, that's true. When you, You're a pretty good speaker. When there's a microphone there, you just... Take the microphone away. Just. You know, we went to that um, SEEK conference in San Antonio. Seek. Probably you guys uh, saw us there, but you gave Dennis, you gave a talk in one of the rooms in as sponsors they said you could give a presentation during lunchtime so we have a room and it was like 250 people so you were talking what did you talk about architecture signs and symbols and beauty or something uh the bible something about bible and church architecture scriptural how the bible informs church architecture Mm -hmm. is that it Mm -hmm. yeah and the room was filled (laughs) I know. Was, I've never had to give a talk where I had was, to step over bodies that, to I'm get not, to the podium. Yeah, there were people on the floor, like priests, just sitting on the floor, like little kids in preschool. And, and poor Brother like, Jeffrey Kerslake, who we brought down with us. Was, he was the bouncer. Like, he was the bouncer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nobody else can come in. I'm sorry. He's but, a very gentle Canadian, so but, he was very nice about yeah, it. Yeah, we had like 300-some people packed into a room for 250. And then the event, one of the event people came up afterwards and said, uh, will Dr. Uh, McNamara be able to do the same talk tomorrow? And I said, yeah. You were talking to some of the people. Yeah. And I said, said, yes. yes for me. And my, she, my goes, she, she goes, shouldn't you ask him? And I said, he'll do it. So Put a microphone in front yeah. of me. So the next day, we had like 500 plus. So 800 people came to, to hear you speak at the Focus Conference. And, and you How many even, left disappointed? Many of them. No, no, no. no none no. of them. That's a terrible thing. But I will say, though, that... No, yeah, uh, take that back. No, I will take it back. Okay. I will take it back. Everybody was satisfied. And obviously that was the case because they all showed up. But that was probably a good time to do the talk so that you didn't have to go like against Ted Shree or like any of the other. What are you uh, trying to say? Oh, there. I mean, there's a big draw for some of the bigger names in the Catholic Church. That's so, true. I need to write some popular books. So I think the other people giving a presentation Set was like the, unpopular the Shroud of Turin. They were doing something. So it was like Dennis or Shroud of Turin, mm. which you're going to choose. Yeah. Or, or just eating lunch in, with your friends. So you got I know eight, what I would choose. Yeah. Lunch with your friends. <laughs> exactly. Wendy's. Always. Always Wendy's. Um, juicy Redhead. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, it's, it's clear that when the microphone's in front of you, turn it on. Uh, so, just walk around with the microphone all the time. Make, yeah. your, life, make your life easier. <laughs> you should do. <laughs> Come into your office with the microphone. Hey, Jesse. You should do that in mass. That and just be like, don't do that. What are you doing? That's an overstall. <laughs> put it put it under the jazz wall. Make it an understall. <laughs> understall. <laughs> um, but yeah, so totally excited about this season of podcast. Stolen, 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 stolen. Oh yeah, so stolen is a kind of uh, pastry. Wait, is it? Yeah. What if it's a swollen stolen? Well, yeah, but if it's a stolen stolen. No, first, before you do that, you have to explain what we're doing because people don't. Well, one of uh, the favorite activities Jesse and I have is this little wordplay that came from this idea. uh, It's called something. It's on Wikipedia somewhere, but it's uh, Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. It's a complete sentence. And I remember somebody told me this and my mind was like, what? How can that be a complete sentence? So Buffalo, the animal who come from the city of Buffalo or Buffalo, Buffalo. And then a verb to buffalo someone means to like bust in and interrupt. Bully, yeah. To bully. So buffalo, buffalo, 
buffalo as a verb, other buffalo from buffalo. So buffalo, 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 buffalo. It's a total, complete sentence. We drive people crazy doing this. Mm-hmm. That's how we bonded. That's how we became we, friends. We were at Wendy's, yeah. And it was that when everything comes back to Wendy's. Wendy's, I know. But we started to create our own. Yes. So there's, you know, Taibo. If you're wearing a, a bow tie while playing Taibo or doing Taibo, that's bow tie Taibo. Yeah. But if your tie, bow tie is from Thailand, then it's a T-H-A-I, Thai bow tie. Mm-hmm. And so if you do Thai bow tie, Taibo, that's doing Taibo with wearing a bow tie from Thailand. Mm-hmm. How many people have we lost yet? Probably all of them. Okay. There's firefighters, fire, firefighters, firefighters, and then firefighters, firefighters. If you fight firefighters, you're mm-hmm. a firefighter fighter. Mm-hmm. Well, that too. Right. Yeah. So what were you saying? Firefighter. Well, well firefighters, firefighters. They they do not hire them. They are fire, fire, oh, firing yeah. fighters. So but what then, if firefighters fire other firefighter fighters? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. you can do that too. But then you can have a firefighter who fires like he launches like in the air, like out of a like cannon. a fighter. Yeah. So he fires fighters. Wow. Fire, fire, firefighters. Well, he could fire firefighters. He could do a lot. <laughs> he could do a lot. But anyway, that's a dumb game. That <laughs> it's an awesome game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this would be this would be a real cool thing. If you send, we, we could have a contest for the best one of those. Oh, send that is a good idea. A liturgical Institute t-shirt. What about that? Okay, so what are the terms and conditions? Uh, what's the deadline? Well, the deadline can be, let's say, September 1st. That's not much time, but okay. September oh, 1st. We all do right. these all the time. All right, we have a whole month. That's right. Yeah, okay. it's a whole month. So the, the way it works is you can use one word or two words at least three times in a phrase. Okay, like so, firefighters. Right. Fight firefighters like blueberry 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 that's yeah. another one there's a guy named blueberry mm-hmm. his name is barry like menlo mm-hmm. and he was eating blueberries that mm-hmm. belonged to another guy named blueberry right and when he somebody made him laugh and he blew them out of his mouth so blueberry blue blueberries mm-hmm. blueberries right see there's a perfect one that is a t-shirt winner yeah, right there that's a t-shirt winner so there are websites which have these things and we'll look them up so you can't steal them <laughs> from these things so free t-shirt from the liturgical institute which is a pretty nice looking thing. Jesse designed it. Yeah, I, I did design it a little bit. Uh, free T-shirt to anybody who can come up with the best one of those phrases, because that is kind of what we like to do. But in, the preference will be given to ones with liturgical words. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Through a fur, through a through a through a fur, something like that. <laughs> Incense in in, ti- in inside of a scent, like a penny. Incense, incense. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be two pennies though, yeah. it would be sense. Oh, we don't want to give it away. We don't want to give it yeah, away. Yeah, anyway, this is the idea. Yeah. But anyway, wow. so I like talking about nothing, man. <laughs> this is way better than like I talking about Virgil Michael Listen, we've been live. This is a good warm up for the podcast. A lot people have you know, they've said you've been gone, you know, so long. So I go into Dennis's office and I say Dennis, let's let's go record something. He's like, What are we recording? What are we gonna talk about? And I was like, We're just gonna talk and he's like, uh, what's the point? And I'm like, oh, you just, eh, people like it. There's one of those. No, don't beat listen. up on me. We beat up on Chris. I'm the happy one here, okay? <laughs> Chris is the mean one. So I think, so Chris doesn't listen to the podcast. I think he thinks like, uh, like 20 people listen to it every every episode. Said <laughs> so it's like a yeah. thousand or 1,500. <laughs> right. He has no, he has no idea like the gra- like the impact that, you know, we're able to make and the people that, the number of people that we're able to reach through this podcast. Strangely enough, Chris is not interested in listening to himself talk. Yeah. I'd you no. garden while listening to the liturgy, guys. I garden? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I dug up my spring mm-hmm. garden this year, I pretty much went through all of the episodes. Or the hours I still say metaphysical. That's, a, that's my favorite one so far. Really? Metaphysics of music. Yeah. 
that's when you <laughs> that's my favorite joke is in that one when you said uh when Chris is talking about all the things that are making notes and different tones, and then and then he's like, and then all the lambs are born, and and they add their sound, they add their voice, and you're like, hey. I'm not good at delivering my jokes, but they're there if you listen carefully. Sometimes they're little little funny tidbits yeah, in the background. All right, so um, this is just some bonus conversation for you guys. Uh, I hope get it's you considered ready. bonus and not, yeah. not torture. But. No, it's not torture. They don't have to listen to it. They probably if you're not listening to this right now. Then you've already turned us off. And if you are, thank you. If you are, I'm sorry. Come up with one of those <laughs> Buffalo Buffalo things. Win a yeah. t-shirt. Yeah, win a t-shirt. Uh, all right, so make sure you tune in to Liturgy Guys. We're going to start on August 8th. Where can they send their lit- Buffalo Buffalo thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, send it to questions at liturgyguys.com. I know that's not, uh, that's like counterintuitive, but that's pretty much the email that we have sent. We really want answers from you, but send it to questions <laughs> at liturgyguys.com. Yeah, don't, don't send it to answers at liturgyguys.com. Send it buffalo, to questions at liturgyguys.com. And uh, we're going to start on August 8th, Tuesday. That is the Great Feast of St. Dominic. The Great Feast of, yeah, of the Great St. Dominic. Well, we didn't get into those, but you were in a Dominican uh, priory. I was a, a Dominican novice for one full year. Did you ever become a Dominican expert? No, just basically was a novice <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> Man, I know. Well, that's something we should definitely say for another conversation. But uh, anyway, listen to the Liturgy Guys podcast on Tuesday, August 8th. Come up with uh, weird word phrases like buffalo, 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 buffalo. And tell all your friends, we want this listening numbers to go up. Yeah. The chart has been going up in a pretty straight line. We will say, like, you know, pretty candidly, when we started this podcast, you know, I, I told Dennis, 24 hours. I was like, hey, we had 50 people listen to the podcast. Ooh, and like, 50 people. I was ecstatic. I was like so overjoyed. And then, you know, I just published a little teaser thing, you know, last last week. And in less than 24 hours, we had 500 people download it already. So just really cool to see uh, how much, how many people we can, you know, reach through the podcast medium. I listen to podcasts all the time. So, I mean, this is the perfect type of thing for me to do. Do you listen to the liturgy guys? I don't actually listen to it that much. Well, you've already heard it by the time you've done it. Yeah, so yeah, so I listen to it twice. I speak it, and then I listen to it another time in editing it. So believe me, I get enough liturgy, guys. <laughs> but uh, You're just trying to get off the phone here, so to speak. Off the phone, yeah. Off the liturgy <laughs> podcast phone. Well, this is, this is just a phone call. We All both right. have our, our cell phones here, and uh, we're just talking on the phone. But anyway, August 8th. Don't forget to listen to, to uh, Liturgy Guys. Tell your friends. Somebody tell my mom. She still hasn't listened to them. If you know tell, Francis McNamara in Long Island, please tell her to listen to her. <laughs> tell, Den- tell Dennis's mom that he needs to listen to somebody. I think, I don't know if my mom listens anymore. She listened in the very beginning and she's like, oh, this is so great. Like, I'm so proud of you. And then I don't think she kept up with it. Yeah. So this will be a test. If, she, if you're listening to this, Patricia Weiler. Yes. I love you. And send us Pike. Crust. Is your I also love you if you're, if you're not listening to this. <laughs> so if you like the liturgy, guys, and even if you don't. And even if you don't. Tell your friends. Tell your, <laughs> if you don't like the liturgy, guys, tell them out of spite so that they waste their time, I guess. But anyway, liturgy, guys, August 8th, listen to it. Do, 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 do. Call Chris Carstens. Do you mean Chris Which Carstens? phone number for Chris Carstens? Mobile. Calling Chris Carson's mobile. <laughs> Do you think he's going to be bad? I don't know. He probably won't answer. Please pick up. Please pick up.
He's on vacation. He's out at some kind of resort place, I think. Some sort of camping place. You reached the voicemail of Christopher Karstens. Please We gotta leave a message. At the tone. You go, then I go. Record your message. When you have finished recording, Christmas you may audience. hang up or press one for more options. Boom, boom, boom. Bum, 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 Chris doesn't bum, know the bum, answer. Bum, 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 do, 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 bum, 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 Guess what, Chris? It's Dmac and Jesse, and we're trying to record you into a podcast. No, don't tell them that. What? That ruins the surprise. No, no, we're not calling you into a podcast. Delete this message. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.